I can't believe it's already the 10th episode. It feels like I've only been doing this for like maybe a month. This whole podcast thing. I should have probably done like the welcome back to the Clark Tech Directory podcast for uh, Roll the intro and then we'll do that. Welcome back to another episode of the Collard Tech Directory podcast. Uh, like I said in that intro, it's episode 10, which is absolutely crazy. I never thought I would make it this far, to be honest, but here we are, uh, we've done it. There are often instances where I start something new or try something and then it just never ends up working and I just kind of stop, give up on it and move on to something else. But with this, I have been doing this podcast for over three months now. I started, my very first episode came out on September 21st, 2021. And now it is January of 2022. Uh, it'll be past the 21st. It's already past the 21st when I'm filming this, but it will be obviously also when this comes out. So it's been actually over four months then since I started the podcast, which is really cool. So this episode is really exciting for me, obviously, because it's the 10th episode. Uh, I have some announcements, things I want to say before we dive in. And then in today's episode, we're going to be talking about my YouTube experience, things with that, as well as things specific to the podcast. So a couple of things I want to say before we start. First, I know I said that the iMac video was going to be coming out, and it is, I promise. Just I did not estimate how long that is really going to take to edit. When I filmed the last episode, which was like almost two weeks ago now, I hadn't started editing that yet. Like I had no idea how daunting of a project that was going to be because I had sort of, I knew, but I didn't really comprehend how much footage I really had. Cause there's like over four hours, I think of footage from that video when I filmed taking apart the computer and putting the drive in and all of that stuff. I have about four hours of footage from that. I've edited some of it. I'm probably about, I would say more than a quarter, but less than half of the way through. So I'd say like a third of the way through editing that. So it's going to take a while. As soon as I finish editing that video, I will release it. Just, I need to like edit it. Every time I like go to sit down to try to edit some of it, I just look at my timeline and I look at all of the footage that I have left to still go through and edit through to like pick like what clips I'm gonna use and stuff like that and I just see it and I'm like oh wow that's a lot and very often I'm just like okay I can't really do this right now this is too much. So very often I just keep like putting it off. That is going to take a while to edit, but once I do edit it, it will come out. I'll try to be better about taking more time to just edit and not thinking about the tons of footage that I have to edit through just trying to take it in smaller chunks. I don't want to say it's going to be out next week because I said that in the last episode and it's not out after two weeks. So it will come out just it's going to take a lot longer than I was anticipating just because of how much footage there is. And I want to make it as high quality of a video as I possibly can. Uh, another reason that I am 
sort of taking a longer time to edit that video is because it's one of the first videos that I am editing using Final Cut Pro. Now, I edited the last episode of the podcast using Final Cut Pro as well, but this is like the first like big video I'm editing using Final Cut Pro, and I'm still trying to get used to that a little bit. I'm going to talk about Final Cut Pro and my experience with using it a bit later in the episode. That's one of the discussion points I actually have planned for this episode, but we have a couple of things that we're going to dive into first before we get to that. My other sort of announcement thing before we start, which I kind of feel like is related to what we're talking about in this episode, is that the podcast is now on places other than YouTube, which is really, really cool. So this is something I've wanted to do for a little while. I figured that since I had already done videos on YouTube and YouTube was sort of the platform that I was most familiar with and really the only platform that I made content on, that I would start with the podcast on YouTube and sort of wait before I decided to expand it to other platforms to other places. So I figure that after I've already done nine other episodes and I am sort of finding like my rhythm with making this podcast and I think this is something that I am definitely planning on sticking to. I think I found a format of creating content about technology that really works for me. This is like I think the best possible way of creating tech content for me just like being able to sit down, talk, and not have to stick to a script and worry about getting lines perfect. And I can just kind of let things flow. Episodes can be longer and I don't have to release them as frequently. So this is like a format that really works for me. So now that I've kind of realized that and I know that this is something I'm going to be sticking to, I thought now like, okay, I think I can then expand this to some other podcast platforms because... Obviously, if this was something that I was just going to give up on after a couple of months, then there would really be no sense in putting it on other podcast platforms because then it's a lot of work to like sort of get that up and running all for just a couple of months of content. So now that I've kind of figured out that, yes, this is something I want to stick to and that as long as I can be doing it, I want to be doing it. So now the podcast is on other platforms, which is really, really exciting. Uh, so far, it's only on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'll get into why I chose those two specifically in a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to talk about how I did it. Like, how did I get the podcast onto there? Because very often, putting a podcast up on places other than just like YouTube can be a bit challenging and may not be accessible for everybody. But I am using Anchor FM, a service by Spotify, uh, to distribute this podcast. And the most compelling thing about Anchor FM for me was that it's free. It's free to create an account. It's free to add episodes. You can add as many as you want. And it's really flexible with what you can do with it. Uh, in terms of podcast distribution. Very often it can be really hard to, like if you just have one platform you're distributing to, that might not be too complicated. But once you wanna put the same podcast in multiple places, that can be really difficult. But Anchor FM, I think, makes it really streamlined to just, okay, upload episodes, and then you can have it go here, 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 anywhere you really want it to be. Um, of course, any place that Anchor FM supports, there are still some podcast platforms that Anchor FM hasn't 
adopted or is letting you like use yet. But all of the major ones are there. There haven't been any that I've wanted to put it on that I've been like, oh, that's not here. The specific reason I chose to do Spotify and Apple Podcasts is of course Spotify is the company that owns Anchor FM. So as soon as you create your podcast, it automatically goes up onto Spotify like that. You can't like do a podcast through Anchor FM and not have it go to Spotify because Anchor FM is owned by Spotify. I also chose Apple Podcasts because obviously this podcast is about Apple and Apple Podcasts is personally the podcast platform that I choose to listen to all of my podcasts. So I thought it would be fitting for it to go up on Apple Podcasts as well. I think that in the future, I might choose to add it to some other podcast platforms, of course, ones that Anchor FM supports. But I think that for now, just having these two is fine. I think it's better than not having it on any podcast platforms at all. So I think it's a great start. Uh, of course, if there are people who listen to the podcast or watch the podcast on YouTube, who really want me to put it on a specific platform, then I would definitely then consider, okay, maybe I should put it there. Another reason why I chose Apple Podcasts as a place to put my podcast on is because originally when I wanted to distribute my podcast to other podcast platforms, uh, I had sort of had the idea in my mind of doing this for a couple months. And I think maybe a month or two ago, I decided that, oh, maybe I would just put it on Apple Podcasts and use like their distribution services and things like that. But I did not realize how expensive that would be. Apple charges, I think, like 12 or $13 a month to host a podcast through them. And I didn't really realize that until I created an account. That's sort of my fault. I didn't really calculate or research very well how much it would really cost to put my podcast on Apple Podcasts using their like own service for hosting. So I already had an account set up with Apple Podcasts to like put my podcast there. Uh, obviously I didn't have any shows in that account because of course to add those you would need to pay them money to host or find another hosting service. Of course, then I found Anchor FM, a free hosting service by Spotify. And so since I already had that Apple Podcasts Connect account set up, it was very easy for me to just like type in a few things information wise about the podcast and then include the RSS feed link from Anchor FM. So that was fairly easy to do. Now, if I wanted to put it on any other podcast platforms like Google or things like that, I would have to create all separate accounts with them and then put the RSS feed link in. Now using the RSS feed link from Anchor FM would be much easier than having to do all of the uh, managing of distribution for every single podcast platform separately, but you still do have to create separate accounts for that, which I think is the better approach in my opinion. I think it would be much better than just having Anchor FM do all of the account creating and stuff for your podcast which when I first heard about Anchor FM was what I assumed it to be. But I sort of like how you kind of have control over your accounts for each individual podcast platform, and you get to choose if you want your podcast on that specific platform or not. Then again, it does require some work in order to put the podcast on other platforms, but Anchor FM still makes it a lot easier than 
any other hosting service that I have researched or looked into. And a lot of other hosting services also cost money. So the real appeal, I think, of Anchor FM is that it's free to distribute your podcast with, which is really cool. So another big milestone is that my YouTube channel is now over six months old, which is really crazy. It doesn't seem like it has been that long since I started my YouTube channel and started putting videos on YouTube. Now, as you may or may not know, I made a ton of videos before I started my YouTube channel. And it was just sort of like videos that I would just create and then like share with friends and family. It wasn't anywhere public. And it was sort of just my hobby of something that this is sort of fun. I might do this for a little while. And then once I started to really get into it, uh, I started like making these videos before YouTube. I started in September of 2020. And then after about like maybe eight or nine months, I was like, okay, maybe I should put these videos on YouTube. So then I did. And I'm sort of glad that I didn't start putting my videos on YouTube right away because just having them shared with friends and family and not like a public audience really allowed me to learn more about the video creation process before I started on YouTube. Because the first video that I ever made, which was well over a year ago now, it's bad. Uh, of course, I say that. That's my biased opinion of I don't like how I look on camera or whatever. I can confidently say that my videos are much better now than they were even just a year ago before I started putting them on YouTube. Now, when I put them on YouTube, they weren't perfect either. I still look back at all of my past videos besides like my very most recent one. And I'm like, all of the things that my most recent video has that all of my other videos don't have, I'm like, uh, how did I ever make a video or go without doing this specific thing? For my most recent podcast episode, it's color correction. That was the first time that I ever really color corrected an episode and spent time making sure that the colors and the lighting looked decent. And in all of my other videos, it's just however they were filmed on my iPhone camera, that's how they looked published. I didn't do anything to them to make them look better in any way, at least not to the extent that I did for that other uh, video. So then I look at, look back at all of my other previous videos and I'm like, how did I ever not color correct? Like that was really stupid of me or I should have done that. But yeah, doing videos not on YouTube first sort of allowed me to learn and know like what I'm doing and how to approach making videos before actually putting them on YouTube. So I'm kind of glad that I waited. Maybe I waited a bit too long and I maybe knew enough to start earlier than I did, but I'm still glad that I waited to be able to learn sort of the video creating process before like making my videos public. I have been editing with Final Cut Pro for a couple of weeks now. I think that I've had the bundle for about a month now. I purchased Apple's Pro Apps for Education bundle, which includes Final Cut Pro, Logic Pro, uh, Main Stage, Compressor, and Motion, and that cost 200 bucks, which may seem expensive, but it's actually quite a deal because Final Cut Pro alone, without any of those other apps, normally costs 
$300, which is already $100 more than the bundle. And then with the bundle, not only are you saving $100, but you're also getting four other apps, which is really, really cool. Uh, now I'll talk a little bit about Apple's education store and education discounts in a little bit. I have some opinions on what Apple's been doing recently with that. So back to Final Cut Pro, it's quite a learning curve for me. I think that I can confidently say it's a bigger learning curve than when I moved from iMovie on my iPad to iMovie on my Mac. Now, when I made that sort of transition, I hadn't been putting my videos on YouTube yet. So there wasn't really as much pressure for me to sort of learn it quickly enough to make sure that I still released content on a fairly regular basis. Like that wasn't really something in my mind that I was really thinking about. And the reason that I had been editing with iMovie on my iPad is because I didn't have a Mac yet at that time. And then in December of 2020 was when I got my first ever Mac, which is kind of crazy to think about that just over a year ago today, I didn't have a Mac. And now my Mac is a device that I use every single day, whether it's for video creation or just entertainment uh, and doing other creative projects or whatever it is. Like I use my Mac now every single day, but I had never owned one a little over a year ago. And all I had was my iPad that I would edit my videos on. And so of course, coming from iMovie on my iPad to iMovie on my Mac, the Mac adds a lot more features and also has some things that were quite different from iMovie on the iPad. So that was quite a bit of a learning curve for me to kind of see like, okay, this is now what I need to do differently when editing videos on a Mac because some of the controls are different and it has more stuff that I can do that sort of changes how I do things, makes it easier to do certain things, but also a lot different things I need to learn, stuff like that. So I think it took about, I would say two weeks or so coming from iMovie on my iPad to iMovie on my Mac before I really started to be like, okay, I'm comfortable now with editing on my Mac that I don't really need to ever go back to my iPad to edit something. Uh, because in the process of learning iMovie on my Mac, if I really needed to quickly edit a clip or do something like that, I was just like, okay, I already know iMovie on my iPad. So even though I have my Mac, which would be better at doing it. I don't really know that as well yet. So I'm just gonna use my iPad right now for this. That was like December of 2020. That was right when I got my Mac. I was like, okay, now that I have my Mac, I'm gonna edit using my Mac because that will have a lot more features compared to my iPad. So it was like late December into like the first couple weeks of January that I was sort of learning and transitioning from iMovie on my iPad to iMovie on my Mac. Now I am doing something similar coming from now iMovie on my Mac to Final Cut Pro, obviously on my Mac because Final Cut Pro isn't available on the iPad. Uh, I have opinions on that as well, but I will save those for another video. I've already made videos talking about how I wish iPadOS had Pro apps. I'm already talking too much about it. Let's go back to what we were talking about before. About six weeks ago, I purchased the Prolapse for Education bundle, like I said. So I've been using Final Cut Pro for about five or six weeks off and on. Of course, I haven't been spending all of my time just editing with it the whole like five or six weeks, but I have for pretty much all of the editing that I have done, I've done it with Final Cut Pro. 
there are still some things that I have been using iMovie for because it's just easier and I know that program a bit better. And so I feel like now I'm just starting to get used to using Final Cut Pro now that I've edited a podcast with it already and I'm about a little over a quarter of the way through editing that iMac video. Like I said, that's coming. I just need time. Please. Thank you. Okay. So I have some thoughts on Final Cut Pro and specifically one feature request that I would really like. I don't think it's that big of a deal, just I would like to have it. So if Apple's interested in taking my advice, which it doesn't seem like they are, hint, hint, iPad software improvements. I think I was midway through that sentence, but I just forgot sort of how I started it, so I didn't know how to end it. Anyway, Final Cut Pro, my biggest like gripe or thing that I dislike about it is that so that like Ken Burns effect, how you can like use like a video clip and then like zoom in on it or zoom out of it, like choosing specific start and end crop points that you're gonna move from like that. That's a feature that iMovie had and is a feature that obviously Final Cut Pro has as well. But with iMovie, the Ken Burns effect worked directly with the normal just crop in effect or just like having it as a normal like video clip. So if you were to have whatever the start clip of your Ken Burns effect was, if you switched back to the normal crop, your normal crop would be set as whatever your start area in the Ken Burns effect was. What I would use this for a lot is when I was starting a clip at a certain crop and then I wanted to use the Ken Burns effect to then start zooming in on the video like halfway through the clip or something like that. I could easily just switch to the Ken Burns effect. It would automatically have my start point set as where the original crop was so that I didn't have to position it perfectly to where it was so it seemed like it cut at all. And then once it zoomed into the end, I could duplicate the video clip to make it keep going and then swap them so the end was at the start. And then when I moved back to the normal crop, it would be at the end crop from the Ken Burns effect so that as soon as the zooming in of the Ken Burns ended, the video clip could keep going in that end crop without having to continue to zoom in. That is a convoluted explanation. I'm really sorry about that, but it makes sense in my head. So that's all that matters. Just know that it was a feature that iMovie had that I really liked. And now in Final Cut Pro, it doesn't do that. So basically when I switch from the Ken Burns effect back to the cropping in effect, it doesn't go based on each other. So the crop effect is entirely disregarding of what my start crop is in the Ken Burns effect, if that makes sense. So I can't really do the thing where I have one single clip and I can start it out as just a normal crop and then halfway through making cuts to have it be a Ken Burns effect for part of it and then stop the Ken Burns effect and just be a normal crop for the ending portion, or if I wanted it just at the start or just at the end or whatever. Any of those things I could do in iMovie, but I can't do those things in Final Cut Pro because it doesn't save my start crop from the Ken Burns effect when I go back to the normal crop. I don't know if there's a way to fix that so it does it or not. I can see how for high-end video editing like that, it might be annoying to have the normal crop automatically be changed when you do stuff with the Ken Burns effect. I totally get that, but also I like it so that it is based on each other. So, so halfway through filming this episode, 
my iPhone died, apparently, and I did not know this or realize this until I finished doing the entire episode. So half of the footage is just gone. You will never see it because my iPhone died and I kept talking because I thought it was still recording, but it wasn't because my iPhone had died. But I didn't know that. This sentence needs to end at some point. Anyway, so thankfully it ended right at the end of a topic, sort of, like my iPhone died right before I started a different topic. So I don't think there was anything else from me talking about Final Cut Pro that I needed to add. Oh wait, there was one thing. In Final Cut Pro, there are a lot more options for color correction compared to iMovie, which I previously been using and that's sort of why I started to color correct more recent episodes of the podcast is because it makes much more of a difference with Final Cut Pro than it does with iMovie. iMovie does have some color correction features but none of it is really enough to spend the time to do every single time you make an episode. Like I didn't see it as worth it to do for every single thing. But with Final Cut Pro, not only are there a ton more color correction options that can add a ton to your video, but also you can save color correction presets so that you don't have to do the same color corrections each time for every single video. It just saves so you can hit one button on the video and it automatically applies the color correction that you have perfectly set from the first video. So every time you can just use that. I set it originally for the last episode of the podcast and I used it in some of the clips from the iMac video that I'm still working on. Please give me some time with that. And then I will also use it for when I edit this episode. Uh, this is really why it's annoying when your iPhone dies because I thought I talked about this next part really well, but I have to do it all over again. So it might not be as good as the first time, but you'll never know that because you never saw it. So next we're going to shift sort of back to YouTube talk, specifically all of the types of videos that I've done from September 2021 onwards. So September of 2021 was when I started this whole podcast sort of thing. And there are three sort of types of videos that I have done during that time. Of course, the first being the podcast itself. The second being YouTube Shorts. Now, most of the YouTube Shorts that I've uploaded since starting the podcast have just been clips from previous episodes of the podcast. Oh, hey, Loke. Want to come here? Hi, Loki. Oh, hi. Yes. Okay, so most of the Shorts that I've done on my channel since starting the podcast have been clips from the podcast, which I haven't done as many recently because they don't get as many views compared to the full episodes and they do take quite a bit of time and they're not really that fun to do. So I don't really do them as much anymore. If they got a lot more views, then maybe I would, but it's not really worth it. I did do one short since starting the podcast that wasn't part of the podcast. Hi, Loki. And that was when I did the tutorial about um, getting notified when you leave one of your Apple devices behind the whole thing with find my and turning on notifications so that when you put one of your devices somewhere and like you leave it behind, you can get notified that you lost it. 
The main reason I decided to create that YouTube short is because someone that I knew was wondering how to do that. So if there's a specific tutorial on an Apple device that you would like to see me do, uh, let me know in the YouTube comments. So the third sort of type of video that I've been doing is the iMac videos. And these are some of the most fun videos to make. Uh, about, it's been, I think, about two months ago now, uh, a friend had an early 2009 iMac that they were no longer using and they were kind enough to give it to me, which is really, really nice of them. And I have really enjoyed using this computer and exploring it. I've done two videos with it so far, the first of which is my third most viewed video ever on my YouTube channel and is my most viewed video, like, period, in the past six months. So that has been pretty cool. And then the second video has done pretty good as well. And it's not necessarily about the views. It's more about that I just really enjoy making those videos as well. So that has been really fun. I'm working on the third video in that series, which will be upgrading the drive in this computer. I've already filmed it. I just need to edit it. I've done some of the editing, like I explained earlier in this episode. It is coming. I just need time to edit because... There's a lot of footage. So yeah, doing that iMac series has been really, really fun for me. So I think I've sort of found the types of videos that I like to do. I like to do the podcast, which is of course unscripted. I can just talk about really whatever I wanna talk about tech related. And then the iMac videos where I just sort of get to, again, unscripted, just explore parts of the computer or do things with the computer. So those are all really fun. So I think I really found like the two types of videos that I really enjoy making, which is really cool. So here's an interesting story. I was scrolling through some Apple News articles as an Apple enthusiast does, and I come across this one article that is talking about how Apple has implemented a way to verify uh, that you're actually an education customer when buying products from the education store. Now, the education store is something that I have used quite a few times, most recently to purchase the Pro Apps for Education bundle. And so I thought it was really interesting that Apple was suddenly deciding to verify that you're an education customer when buying from that store, when for so many years they hadn't done that at all. And just no matter if you were an education customer or not, you could buy products from that store. Uh, so then they decided to then verify that using this site called Unidays, which I thought was really interesting. And then a couple days later, like maybe about a week later, they then reverted the changes. So then they decided, you know what, we're not going to do this. And I think the main reason for that was because a lot of people were complaining that Unidays, this website they were using to verify that you were an education customer, wasn't really working properly. And for some users who were actually education customers, it wouldn't verify them properly. So I think that's the main reason why Apple decided to change that and go back on it. But also the education store is something that has existed for many years without the need to verify that you're an education customer. And so I think that to a lot of people who knew about the education store, it came as a bit of a shock to me as well that suddenly after this many years of not 
having to verify that you were an education customer, suddenly they were then interested in doing that. I don't necessarily think that Apple was deciding to suddenly implement this change because they needed the money, because they are a free trillion dollar company now, so they really don't have any problems when it comes to money. And compared to all the products that they sell, giving a 20% discount on certain products with the education store, and for only the people who know about it, like not everyone even knows the education store exists or how to like get to it, for the amount of people that know that the education store exists and are using it without being an education customer isn't a very high percentage of people that are buying Apple products. So I don't really see why Apple would do it for the sake of just getting more money by not allowing people who aren't education customers to use it. So anyway, I thought it was interesting that after so many years of not requiring education verification that they suddenly wanted to, and then also that they went back on that decision about a week later. So one more thing that we have to talk about before we end today's episode, uh, and that is iPad hardware rumors. I think that specifically in the past year or so, there have been a ton of rumors about new hardware changes that are coming to the iPad Pros, specifically the Pros. And I am disappointed by the fact that Apple has not implemented any software features for the iPad to take advantage of all of this hardware that they're adding or planning to add. I don't really see how an M2 chip, for example, in the iPad Pro is gonna be really needed, especially compared to the already overkill M1 for the iPad Pro. I don't see how adding that would really do much to add to the experience of using the iPad because it doesn't have Final Cut Pro, it doesn't have Logic, it doesn't have any software that professionals can really use to take advantage of the performance of the iPad Pro. Another rumor for the iPad Pro is wireless charging, which I don't really think makes sense. I think for smaller devices like the iPhone or AirPods, wireless charging is a really cool feature, but with an iPad, you're not really gonna have a wireless charger that is for your iPad that you would put your iPad on all the time because you're gonna have so much other stuff like around the wireless charger and having a wireless charger for an iPad, a device that's like that big, would take up a ton of room on your desk. And then every time you wanted to charge your iPad, if you had stuff like fairly close to the charger, you would have to move it out of the way so that the iPad could be placed on it because it's that big. And since the iPad is currently made out of aluminum, it can't wirelessly charge through that. So it would need to have glass in some form, whether it's the Apple logo or the entire back, neither of which seem like good ideas because the iPad Pro is already a fairly breakable and fragile device. And so adding glass would not help to that. In order for the Apple logo to be compatible with wireless charging, it would need to become as big as a wireless charger, which would, I think, seem quite awkward on the iPad. So neither of those options really sound good. That's it, I guess, for today's episode of the Clark Tech Directory podcast. It was probably a bit longer than episodes usually are, and that is for two reasons. The first of which is that longer episodes tend to perform better on YouTube compared to shorter episodes, which I would think would be the opposite because I would think that people have shorter attention spans and wouldn't want to watch a longer video, but I guess they do. 
And then the other reason is that I just find that longer episodes are more fun to make and more fun to edit. So yeah, so that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed making it and I will see you in the next one. Bye.